ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. I'm Scott Prather coming to you from the Roofing Louisiana Studios and joining me now for the final segment here on this Wednesday uh, is Chris Alano, former Ragin' Cajun defensive end and uh, still does some TV work this season, former radio color analyst and uh, we'll always be very close to the Cajun program. And, Chris, before we talk some Cajun football, I just uh, I just finished talking to Mike Neighbors from Cox Sports Television, who has done a good job of covering the Saints and lives in Tampa, so he covered the Bucks in the past. So he had some good perspective on, on Drew and Jameis. But when you got the word Monday that uh, Drew had a collapsed lung, what, uh, what what's the first thing that went through your mind? Because I know, you know, you're a lifelong Saints fan. Oh, just the overall disdain I have for, for Jameis Winston of his college days and the days he had to play for the Bucks. And now I actually got a roof for the guy <laughs> to win football games for the Saints. I mean, listen, I, I think they're a well-coached team and uh, they have a great supporting cast around them and uh, they'll find a way. They'll find a way to get through it. And But, you know, watching that game on Sunday, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm watching it with my dad because, you know, I'm living now back in the boot. in case anybody else doesn't uh, know that by now we moved from houston back to louisiana so i'm watching it with my dad on sunday and he keeps looking over at me and saying man Jameis is going to find a way to get this team back into it and every time he stepped back into the pocket to throw the football it's almost like you want to close your eyes because it was that close of the ball being intercepted and uh and, and, and with the other team finding a way to get back into it so i mean now that he has a week to prepare I guess maybe his, you know, the mental approach of it could be different. Uh, probably a guy like Jameis Winston did not think he was going to play last Sunday, but now having a week to prepare, knowing that he is the guy, maybe he'll he'll come out a little stronger. But we'll see. That, that that's I, I want to wait a few weeks before I make a judgment as far as him as the Saints quarterback. But to worry about turnovers would be um, understandable, considering that's why he's not starting in the NFL right now. Well, he is starting, but was not starting week one for a team, um, protecting the football. But, you know, last year, Drew Brees goes out week two, broken thumb. Teddy comes in and, you know, Bridgewater, I think he was 17 to 30, you know, 172 yards. And everyone said, oh, you can't do that. It's not going to work. Play, play taste some more. And then once you had a week to game plan and build a game plan around him and he had reps with the ones, it changed. So um, I'm anxious to see what happens Sunday against Atlanta. But, my thing is, I, I didn't think as much about Jameis as I just thought about Drew Brees when I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time Monday morning talking about how somber he looked in the postgame and how it was probably something serious and he might not play again. And there's no guarantee that he will. I mean, you know, depending on what you read, it could be, you know, five, six weeks, could be eight or nine. I mean, eight weeks from the time of the injury, you're looking at week one of the playoffs. So there's just... I just my thought was, man, I hope we haven't seen Drew Brees take his last snap as a Saint. That that that's what my uh, thought that would, that would be. A, that would be a pretty somber moment. And um, and going back to like last year when he went down and Teddy came in, I, I believe in football. Every team has an identity, and I think the identity of the team changed where they decided, okay, we can, we need to play hard, tough nosed defense, in which they did. And that was a big part of it. And I got and that's why I, I got worried when Drew Brees came back because I thought we were going to lose a little bit of, of that edge on defense. But, you know, I, I think overall they played well, and uh, unfortunately they, they lost to the Vikings in the playoffs. But 
they'll find a way, I think, to in the remainder of this season, and uh, we'll, we'll see what takes place coming up this Sunday. All right, Chris Lano is our guest, ESPN 1420. Well, I brought you on to talk some Raging Cajun football, and uh, let's just start with Billy Napier. Um, obviously, it's not unexpected that his name is going to be linked to possible candidate at South Carolina. Um, he's from close to that area. Uh, he's a hot commodity, right? It's an SEC job. Doesn't mean he's going to take it. I mean, doesn't mean he's going to be offered it, right? I mean, he got offered Mississippi State last year. He didn't take it. Stayed at UL. Turned down a couple of other um, interviews and things that he could have done. So I, I'm not going to sit here and speculate, oh, they're going to offer and he's gone or anything like that. I just I, – I don't know what's going to happen is my only point. Um, to I, I think to sit here and, and every waking moment – worry will he won't he um i don't i don't think that's healthy for some cajun fans chris but i know there's a couple that are thinking of of oh god this could happen. look the reality is when you got a really good coach and you're at ul and you're in the top 25 and you're winning your name his name is going to come up a lot whenever uh, an opening like that comes up and in the meantime you know he told me on monday i'm you know i don't talk about that i'm just i'm just worried about the presence so your thought as a former player and somebody that's really tied into this program and knows a lot of fans that follow it closely, when you see Napier's name and you see the reaction, how do you feel about it all? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I have a total 180 perspective on this. And I've been talking to a lot of close people connected to the program, and I'm really one of the very few that shares this belief, and that is I think it's going to be a great day the day he does accept the job elsewhere. And let me explain why I look at the ladder and all this, because last year I was one of those guys, one of those fans where, Oh man, if we lose Napier, that's it. It's going to be a crushing blow. But then I started to think about how many years have I wished that someday Louisiana would part ways with a coach who went out and took a better job instead of the other way around where we had to just kick him out the door. And I look at it in the sense that when, you know, think about three years ago or two and a half years ago when Billy left, the program is in such a better state right now. The time he does leave, let's just say hypothetically he will leave, than when he arrived two and a half years ago. So it's not like we, it's not like a redo. It's not like a cycle from what we experienced two and a half years ago because the program was a little bit, uh, you know, in a, just, in a funk than from uh, just the fact that it was we were coming off a losing season and uh, we've lost a little bit of the fan base of some things that may have happened before during the HUD days. And, you know, it, it was just a, a little bit of turmoil. I think the program is in such a better state now than it was before. And when a coach leaves, and let's just say hypothetically speaking, he does take the South Carolina job. Now, all of a sudden, that puts Louisiana on the map, where Billy Napier, a former Sunbelt coach at Louisiana Rage Cajuns, now with the SEC, and all these other top assistants, they got to be looking around right now, and all of a sudden, Louisiana is on their radar because they have to be thinking, okay, if Billy Napier can leave and go get an SEC job, why not me? So I, I think it really puts us on the map. And also, like again, I'll reiterate one more time, these assistant coaches – there's not so much of a real rebuilding process from which Billy Napier came in two and a half years ago. 
this program is a well-oiled machine to where the next guy that does come in, all we have to do is put the keys in and turn the ignition. It's a much different scenario than what we're facing. And also, I think the one key guy that we're forgetting in all this is Dr. Brian Maggard. We trust in Maggard. I I think he has a contingency plan. He's had one in place from last year. He's got a few guys, I'm sure, on his radar that he knows about that nobody else does. And and I believe in him. I I, I feel good about it, the fact that because I have so much faith in Dr. Brian Maggard and his vision and what he wants to bring. And, and, again, we're all speaking as if Billy Napier is going to leave. And I understand that's the question, and I'm answering it in that sense. Maybe he doesn't go. Maybe he stays another year in the next year. But hypothetically speaking, if he does leave, I think overall it's going to be a great day for this program, and there's still – it's going to be a bright future ahead. And I I trust Dr. Maggard and his process and his guys on bringing the right guy in to fulfill his spot. Chris Lano, our guest, ESPN1420.com, Rage Occasion Analyst. Let's talk about the team now. I visited with uh, Big Sauce, Taylor Humphrey, earlier this morning. That cat is strong, Chris. I mean, this dude playing nose guard, getting doubled. Um, you know, I, I, I just – he Kevin Dotson was the strongest player on the team previously. He's going to the NFL. Talon is, uh, you know, playing his first year for the Cajuns, even though he's been around college football for a while. What kind of impact, when you watch this team, does he make when he's on the field? Well, I think the biggest impact he makes is overall Zion Hill's play. And I think when you have a guy like Talon Humphrey to load up the middle of the line of scrimmage with that nose technique, it allows a guy like Zion, who is a smaller type interior lineman, to freelance where he can, be, he can be moved more to the three technique outside of the guard or possibly in the five technique on a rush-in uh, package, defensive package. And I think it really helps a guy like him because we relied so much on Zion of controlling that inside of the, of the line, of taking up, the, taking up the center along with one of the guards, uh, trying to defeat that double team, bringing up the linebacker. So it's helped defense in that kind of way and also just – uh, pulling together a, a lot of other guys along the offensive line, Taylor Humphrey, that is, to free up the linebackers such as McCaskill and uh, Farrar Gardner. Now, at the beginning of the season, I thought Taylor Humphrey, it took a little time to get into playing shape. And it looked like he was taking a lot of plays off against the Iowa State game. But he's really coming to his own. Now, remember, he missed all of last year due to a, a what, what was it, I believe, a, a gray shirt year, a blue shirt, whatever you call it now where the transfer rule, he cannot play. He had to sit out a, a, a season, and that was last season. But give it a few weeks into this year, he's really coming to his own. I think he's now back to his form uh, when he was really playing well a couple of years ago over at FAU. And, uh, again, I mean, you just about nailed it on the head. I mean, he has been a force up the middle. And, you know, watch out for a guy like him where this weather is starting to change. It's not going to, it's not going to remain hot anymore. It's going to remain it's going to start getting cooler to where he's not going to get as tired on the field and just he'll be a three-down player every series. And uh, it's just one of those dominant players that we have not had in a long time. I think he's a guy – first of all, I'm with you in that. I think it's trending upward right now. Like he wasn't playing this way early in the season, but his impact as of late is uh, is undeniable. And I think, you know, with the right mindset um, – and if he gets in in good enough shape, I mean, he's he, you don't want to lose the the size because of the position you play. But you know, you're six five, three thirty five. If he drops a little bit 
And because he's so quick for that size, you know, that's what jumps out to me was when he starts moving. It's like, whoa, you know, you don't expect a guy that big to have that burst. Um, but I think, I think he potentially could play on Sundays. Are there other players on this roster, Chris, that you see as, um, and, and, you know, we could look at all the running backs for starters, but are there some other guys on this roster you see, okay, he's going to be playing on Sundays. He's, he's, he is an NFL caliber player. Well, you know what? It's funny you mentioned that we'll, we'll look at the running backs. I, I, let's look at it in totality, offense and defense. I think the one guy who has the best chance to have a long career on Sundays is you got to look on the defensive side of the football, and that's Percy Butler. I look at Percy Butler, and from his he, – he, he jumped off the TV last year, I thought. He made some plays last year where you had people talking about him, and man, Percy Butler, he, this guy's a playmaker. And all of a sudden, his game picked up this season, and he really came out of the uh, – he really just burst into the scene against Iowa State. And I know he had a little bit of a COVID issue, I believe. He missed a game or two uh, this year. But every time he's in the game, you know, he's, he's – He's just viable to make a huge play on the field, and he's always in on those big plays. Uh, whenever the defense needs to come out with a big play, a big game changer, and even on, you can't just necessarily look at the stat sheet because he breaks up a lot of plays. He's always around his defender, and he never gets he never gets beat on any plays. And he kind of reminds me of a guy who played for the Cajuns back in the early two thousands, uh, a CC Brown, who was kind of that same similar body type who was just about in on every tackle. You know, CC never missed a tackle when he played. And I, I look at a very similar player like that in Percy Butler. You know, I, I thought Dwight Bentley was a great player, but he didn't have the size like Percy Butler. I mean, he, Percy Butler possesses a sort of physical stature in, in the defensive secondary that, that, you know, poses a little bit of an uh, you know, intimidation factor. I mean, he does, he's a big kid. And he, I think he's got a big frame, and he can definitely fill into that frame into the next level. So I, I really think Percy Butler is going to get a shot on Sundays, you know, possibly get drafted and have a nice, long-lasting career because his instincts are there as well as his, his football acumen. He, he's just a heck of a player, and I'm sure, you know, this Patrick Tony and that staff, Lamar, Mo- Lamar Morgan, they, they all feel the same way. ESPN1420.com. Good stuff. Chris Lano, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. Reggie Cajun analyst Chris Lano with us. Chris, Neil Johnson, tight end, formerly a receiver in high school, missed the first couple of games of the season. Um, throw to the tight end more. Do this. Or why don't the, the tight end in the Cajun offense has been this key talking point among the fan base for as long as I've been covering the team. It's like It's like there's an obsession with it. And and, and Coach Napier earlier this year on a Zoom call was asked about it, and he said, look, we, we, we haven't changed anything. We, we, it, if, if it's there, if it's open, we'll throw it to the tight end. You know, we're not doing anything different this year, but when you see a guy like Neil Johnson, and, and Coach talked to me about him uh, on his appearance on my show last week in terms of him coming along and making an impact, I, I, the size and the speed from that, if you're looking for just when you compare him to the other tight ends on the roster, Johnny Lumpkin, a Hunter Bergeron, what have you, he clearly from a receiving standpoint is a different kind of weapon. Is he not? No, he's the best tight end on our team. And by far, and I thought he was the best tight end last year. And, you know, you look at a guy like Neil Johnson, and I may have this backwards. Now, his junior year, he was a quarterback. Senior year, he played wide receiver. Now, I may have that backwards. He could have been a receiver his junior year and a quarterback his senior year. 
so either or, the kid is an incredible athlete, and he's coming into his own, and we've recruited him as a tight end. And listen, earlier in the season, earlier in the year when he did not play, we don't know what type of issues that may have been off the field. I mean, I, I'd all stayed in house, and we'll just leave it at that. I don't even want to speculate. But when if his head is on straight and he's on the field, he poses the biggest threat down the field as far as this year for Levi Lewis. Last year, you had to give that nod to Jamarcus Bradley. But this year, Neil Johnson, you know, when he's zoned in, he is the biggest threat for this agent offense. And, you know, he is a great weapon to have. And, you know, he, he does some things that uh, the old Ladarius Green could not do. You know, his ability to block along the line of scrimmage as well. And it's so important for a tight end to come into a football game and be able to run down the field and stretch the field because it brings a certain personnel on defense that they have to call to I, I, obey the run. So a lot of times that's why you see him line up on a linebacker and he is going to win 10 times out of 10. He's just too athletic. So a guy like Neil Johnson, and he is a special player. I saw it last year when he got onto the, when he burst onto the scene. And um, again, you know, he's got a lot. He's still raw at the tight end. He's got a lot of developing to do, but so far just very promising. All right, great stuff from Chris Lano. I want to talk about Levi Lewis before we let you run the Rage Occasion quarterback, the Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Week this week. Um, he was tremendous against South Alabama. And uh, the Cajun offense, we've been waiting for them to have that game where they got off hard and really continued it and, and kept the momentum. Uh, for Levi, just a couple of throws into some really tight windows. Um, I thought it was his best performance as a whole this season. But um, is this going to continue moving forward? What's your uh, assessment of Levi now through two-thirds of the season? And, uh, and you know, whether it be his progressions, what you're seeing on the field, um, now having more right reps and time with uh, a receiving core that came into the season, for the most part, a lot of inexperience, not across the board, but, but certainly – you know, when you lose a Bam Jackson and a, uh, you know, and, and a Jamarcus Bradley, you know, there's, there's a big drop off, yeah. and then all the injuries. So, uh, I'm I'm rambling now. I I shouldn't be talking. I want your thoughts on Levi. No, I mean, listen. You mentioned two receivers, but the two you probably missed that are the most important is your two offensive linemen who are playing in the NFL and, and starting in the NFL. I mean, I I don't think uh, Dotson started last week, but he had a start in the NFL. I mean, and when you have that type of time. You know, the throw the football with those two guys and your right guard and right tackle, you know, besides just that, the ability to run the football and the linebackers and the safeties playing in the box of having to you know, respect the run so much because of the offensive line play, you know, that opened up a lot of things down the field too as well. So I think what defenses were doing, especially Iowa State, Iowa State was daring Levi Lewis to win the football game. They, they forced Levi Lewis to win the football game with his arms, and I think other defenses picked up on that. Uh, offensive line play has not been as pristine as a year ago. And, and I always wanted to think that it was going to be just as just as good because of the, the reshuffling of being able to move Max Mitchell and Osiris to the right side and being able to fill in the left side with some good quality players. That's not even That's not nearly the case. And I should know better when you lose two offensive starters in the NFL, that you can never replace those guys. You just can't. So, But Levi Lewis coming into this league, I thought he finally took command of the offense, and it was really good to see. It was beautiful to see. 
and didn't have a lot of miscues. Uh, you know, I thought his touch on the football can still be improved a lot. You know, a lot of that to do with these short little intermediate passes. You know, it's like he still has one speed throwing the football. I just think he needs to learn to put a little bit more air underneath it when he's uh, when he's dunking it out into the flat to his tight ends or H backs that may be. But other than that, I, I thought he I thought he showed great vision in the backfield. Or, or in the secondary, that is, and he finally took up. And hopefully, this is this is a flash of what's to come, you know, in the next several weeks. Because we're going to need Levi Lewis. He is going to have to be the X factor when you play against Appalachian State and possibly against Coastal Carolina again. You know, Levi Lewis will have to be that X factor. If he plays well, we have a real shot of winning the football games. And you know, hopefully, he can get back to his 2019 form. And you know, we saw a little bit of that last Saturday. Good stuff. Chris Lano has been our guest, ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com, Asian Cajun color analyst um, last year and the year prior. And with COVID this year, it's uh, HG man, Gerald Broussard. But Chris still doing some stuff for uh, for TV, among other things, and still very much involved in the program and follows it about as closely as anybody I know. So always appreciate his insight and uh, talking some ball with him, man. Well, look, I know I know you moved the family recently um, from Texas to, uh, back to uh, back to the boot. I know that's stressful. I know, especially with little ones. So I know you're super busy, man. But I appreciate you coming on this morning, talking some Cajun ball with us. And I know we'll be chatting again in the future. No, Scott, I'm always glad for you to reach out. And, uh, you know, it's fun. It's, you know, I guess the one thing I can say moving back here, everybody just looks a lot older from how I remember them 10 years ago. I, I guess uh, there's a reason for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. I'm seeing a lot of my old classmates, uh, a lot of my peers back in the day, and uh, it's been pretty refresh- refreshing. But, again, it's pretty chaotic with young kids. Hopefully you don't have to do that again. But, you know, but it, it's good. It's good to be back. As somebody that moved with three very young children in the year of our Lord 2020, Believe me, brother, I know how chaotic and stressful it can oh, be. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the time, man. Let's uh, let's chat again soon, all right? All right, Scott. Have a good one, bud. All right. That is uh, going to do it for the Great Scott Show. Big thanks to Chris, to Mike Neighbors, to Jalen Johnson, to Taylor Humphrey. Big sauce. To all of you for tuning in here on this Wednesday, ESPN 1420.com. Tomorrow, Norman Locke joins me as he does every Thursday. we got a lot to dig into do some NFL chat in uh, the NBA draft tonight. We'll take a look back at various things happening uh, and uh, and what the Pels do and much more. That's all coming your way on tomorrow's show. Don't go anywhere. Steve Pelliquin is next with Beyond the Game. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app.